With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, welcome to another VRL USA podcast. This is Alan, and I'm joined by Zach and also Jamie. Greetings, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Yep. I started to say good morning, but then it's not morning for Jamie, and then it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where, are you? You're in Spain, Jamie. Are you? I forgot. Are you in Valencia? Or are you in somewhere else? Yeah, near enough. Um, just about an hour south of Valencia, so it's about five o'clock here in the in the evening. So a lot later than what it was. It mid- midday for Zach, is it? And morning for for you, Alan? Yeah, it's eight a.m. and it's a nice sunny morning. It's going to be going to be warm here today so oh, lovely yeah so um well we have i'm, I'm going to hand it over to zach because you have some news for our listeners okay yeah so for the last couple years um i have uh technically been the uh i mean the the manager of Real usa um we all know that deep down in in our hearts i still report to alan um <laughs> but i've been kind of running the site and we've gotten somehow managed to miraculously get the Twitter verified in that time. And we, we've done some stuff, but, um, as of next week, um, I will no longer be in that role. Uh, my regular life has shifted to the point that I can't give the site the amount of attention that I want it to. Um, and so Jamie, uh, will be taking over for me, which I'm very excited for, uh, because he is a, far better football writing mind than I'll ever be. So, uh, Jamie, I just want you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up following and supporting Villarreal and uh, kind of where you see the site going. Yeah, sure. Thank you for the kind words and congratulations on what you've done for the site so far. Um, for those who don't know me, I've been a football writer for the um, best part of seven, seven or eight years in, in total, but professionally around around five years um, from the United Kingdom, uh, Wales specifically, as the accent kind of gives away. Um, yeah, I've, I've come from a background of doing journalism in, in university and then writing sort of professionally for the Reach site in the UK and then recently moved to Spain, working freelance and currently work with Football España and other websites as well. And that's my kind of work background. In terms of uh, Villarreal, I started following the, the team kind of uh, more loosely, but following the team uh, as a kind of soft spot, if you like, from from going on a kind of paid school trip to to Villarreal itself and, and having the opportunity to train with train with the kind of club coaches and, and going on a tour of the ground and things like that and getting to know the, the club as a whole. Um, and the soft spot kind of developed from there, but starting off properly supporting the team later on and have been doing so ever since. So that's kind of a, my introduction uh, to Villarreal as a club Um and my writing background as well. So yeah, I'm excited to, to take the site on and, and kind of see where we can take it and build on obviously the, the very great work that both of you have done so far. When were you, when did you do that uh, Viriel training thing? That sounded really fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I must stress, I've said before that it was a school trip and people have said, well, that's kind of a big school trip. I didn't go to a very great school, so it certainly wasn't a kind of free school trip. It was quite expensive to do, um, but something, uh, an opportunity not to be missed as a kind of football obsessive growing up. Yeah, um, That was around 2009, so I met some of the players as part of the trip. Uh, so it would have been one Catavia, uh, Robert Perez, and, and that brilliant group. Uh, mm-hmm. Diego mm-hmm. Forlan, I think, was there. Uh, and my favorite player, and I know many favorite players as well, is, is was Santiago uh, Casola. But he was he actually broke his leg at the time uh, just before, so missed the opportunity to meet ah. and be in his wonderful presence. Well, I got are to... we about the same age, Jamie? How old are you? I'm 25. Oh, never mind. We're not about the same no, age. You he just went he, on a school trip he's... at a much younger age than I did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was early, early in my secondary school days. So right. Yeah, I actually, um, what I was going to say was I actually was in Santi's presence, and I think that's the, the way to put it, was when we, um, when I went over for the Liverpool um, 
match when we were playing in the semis. You remember we were competing in that under twenty one cup, yes, yeah. and um, Santi was at was sitting like about ten feet away from me, and I desperately wanted to go over and and say hi to him and and everything. But there were all these school kids there from a Spanish school in in London who had who didn't realize he was there, and it was made very clear to me that. He doesn't want to be bothered. <laughs> so it actually took until like the very end of the match, which went into extra time and we won. And then suddenly one of the kids realized who he was. And then they all started screaming, Santi, Santi. <laughs> anyway. Ruben just low profile. <laughs> yeah. But he, yeah, he wanted to keep a low profile and, uh, and uh, yeah. And, and uh, it, he mostly succeeded. So it was pretty, it was pretty, um, it was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, he's. I think he's pretty much everybody's one of their favorite players, anyway. So, um, well, let's start off by. I mean, we've we've had a historic um, uh, historic week in Villarreal, and I think the first player to score four goals in a Primera match for us, and I think the only the other one that I saw was back in the nineteen eighties. And uh, I think we were in the what third division or something, and I can't remember. So it, it, Jeremy Pino had quite a day to remember. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I mean, I I don't know how this will sound. I don't want it to sound the wrong way because he played magnificently. But it was one of those things where um, what he did off the ball to get himself into position to score was the better part of his four goals as opposed to, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't so much that he it was, you know, knocking in worldies from 30 yards away so much as it was that he was just working hard, getting himself in the right position. And that's really what his game's been all about since he came through. So I was really, really happy for him. Right. I think except for the fourth goal where he sort of, where he had to take the ball around, uh, Diego Lopez and, and, uh, did that pretty pretty easy? Right. I mean, once you've got the hat trick, then you know it's just full confidence. In the case, you know, who's worried about anything after that? I was going to say the pressure is off. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I think those of us, well, you would have met him in uh, twenty in two thousand nine, Jamie. I think those of us with long memories um, have to feel um, a little sorry for Diego Lopez. I, I think it's the second time he's. He gave up five goals against Barcelona. Um, I think it was the first match of 2011-12 season, maybe. So, <laughs> second time he's been scotched for five in uh, in Villarreal, but this time we did it. Yeah, yeah, bless him. Um, but yeah, more focus on on young Jeremy Pino. Brilliant performance uh, from him, and uh, as Zach kind of alludes to, it's just he's such a unique player, isn't he? He's just not. He's not that kind of kind of whiz pacey kind of player, you know, that we see is so fashionable in today's game. He's got such a, a football intelligence that makes him stand out. And that's kind of unique for a winger these days, I think. It kind of goes against the grain. But this game kind of highlighted uh, the strengths of his positioning, where he is, where he finds himself in the box when the ball breaks loose. And uh, these goals kind of characterise that, I felt, Um um, we saw the benefits of it, four goals, just brilliant. And brilliant for his confidence as well, because I don't think, maybe fair to say, he hasn't quite kicked on where we might thought he would from last season, um, probably due to increased competition in the squad with Arnold Danjuma coming in uh, and mm-hmm. the likes, um, mm-hmm. but the emergence of uh, Alberto Moreno as well. Um, so this was, I think, much needed for him, I think, and I think he can kind of push on now um, so, going into this season. And I'll, I'll ask both of you this question. Um it almost sounds absurd to ask, but even after him scoring four goals, I mean, does that doesn't make him a starter, is it? Like he's not. We don't expect him to start against Juventus just because he dropped four goals on Espanol, do we? I mean, that just as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it really depends. I I think obviously um, he got more playing time last year when Samu was injured and. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's I think it's really a lot to ask of him at um but he's definitely got the um I liked what happened in this match. I mean, not just his four goals obviously, but the fact that he um then when he came out, you had a fresh Samu on there who looked really fresh and energetic for the last 20 minutes or something. And I've always thought that Samu 
as a starter sometimes is really great and sometimes he can sort of disappear after about a first about a half so I don't know I mean I think it I think it probably will depend in part on who is still injured for us or who is unavailable yeah um maybe I I but though I must say I think that Unai Emery may be tempted to bring him in actually for the Juventus game, especially away from home. Um, one of the big concerns I had from the first leg, although Villarreal largely contained Juventus after the, what was it, 44th second or something, mm-hmm. um, was that like, you saw Juan Cuadrado having tons of space out wide. Um, that was partly by design um, because of the kind of shape that Villarreal played and, and the other players they looked to contain. Uh, but what Jeremy Pino gives you, as we saw in last season's Europa League campaign, is that positional awareness um, to put himself in positions defensively um, mm-hmm. to protect his fallback. Um, and I wonder whether Emery might be tempted to bring him in to control that kind of extra wide threat that Cuadrado brings kind of behind almost um, some of the more prominent stars that Juve have. Um, so I wonder whether that, that might tempt Emery, especially away from home when Villarreal are probably not going to have the kind of be on the same kind of front foot as they were in the first leg, and they probably have to contain Juventus. Um, mm-hmm. You probably see a swapping of roles, probably, won't you, between Villarreal and Juventus in the second leg from the first leg, where Villarreal were on the front foot and Juventus defending for much of it. And if that is the game plan, as we saw in in some of the games in the Europa League last year against Arsenal and, and so on, Jeremy yeah, Pino can can certainly play into that kind of that kind of game plan. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess that's mm-hmm. the. That's the kind of trade-off with Samu that Alan was talking about, is that when he's running full speed, then you don't need that defensive awareness because the opposing fullback or wingback is pinned in his own defensive area the whole time. Um, But if Samu runs out of gas or takes a play off, which he doesn't do nearly as much as he used to, but he still does, um, then you've got the fullback out on the island, whereas Jeremy, like you were saying, is he'll give you the offensive push but he's going to work hard on defense no matter what too mm-hmm. um, yeah and and i think i think that i think you might be right about that um i think the other thing to inch, be interested to see is what formation he goes with um against juventus because we, i think the team works better in a 4-4-2 but los celso has also been really good and he seems to fit better in a 4-3-3 so i don't know what he's going to do mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the and I think the question is still, um, do we have you know if we get a true striker back in I mean Gerard or or um, or if we get Paco back? I mean, do you you know does that make a difference too? It's it's really interesting um, because I think the 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 Espanol match was I thought that. The big Emery obviously targeted their fullbacks with you know starting Aria and um, and uh, Estupinian, and those guys both had great games, especially Estupinian. But you're not going to start um, Aria and put Samu ahead of him. No, you know you're gonna it's going to be fourth. <laughs> And and Samu, so I think he's got to. I think he's got to look at at Juventus and and uh, in terms of where does he think their weaknesses are and sort of design his. I think that's one of the benefits of our roster this year, is we've got a lot of different parts that he can tinker with, and it seems like part of our success recently has been that um, his tinkering has has really paid off. I think um, match like like uh, Sundays was um was uh really i think he thought it through really well and and we came out um really positively so yeah sure i i, I want, want to touch on the point you made there about the, the kind of two strikers thing i do wonder whether um whether if gerard moreno is fit do you do you bring in Bula idea obviously on the weekend he had a bit of an impact there with the goal of uh, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because we saw that first leg and how well it worked in that first leg. Almost without that, obviously we know that if Gerard Moreno is fit, you play him. Um, and it's to what degree you change the team around mm-hmm. him then. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think, and from the first leg we saw this, that Dan Juma is better playing wide. Um, but then again, you, you sacrifice other players. Alberto Moreno playing well. 
um, on the other side, obviously, there's no choice between Chukwesi and, and Yeno Pino, especially off the back of this weekend. That's become a much more difficult uh, selection, although although lacking in, in some areas. I thought Chukwesi was actually quite dangerous in the, in, in the first leg and causing some problems. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't envy uh, Unai Emery, but this is a situation Villarreal certainly wanted to find themselves in and probably one we didn't think they would find themselves in after such a diff- diff- disappointing and difficult start. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't think mm-hmm. we can complain. Right. And it'll be interesting also with the, uh, I mean, one benefit, I guess, is that we the away goals rule um, doesn't apply. So we are a little less under the, under the cosh than we would be if that were still the case because, you know, Juventus could could essentially uh, defend for a nil-nil and and uh, yeah. go through. So, yeah, it, 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 it seems as though Emery doesn't trust Dia to be, the, um, to be a, a starter um, or play 90 minutes. He seems, to, he seems to, for whatever reason, want to bring him off the bench. So maybe, maybe if Gerard is fit enough, you give him a go for um, and, and then you can always um, bring on Dia later if you need to. Or Paco, I guess, but I, I've kind of given up on, on him ever recovering from whatever it is that ails him. Yeah, that's true. Probably more likely to see Nicholas Jackson, to be fair. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess the other thing, other person that I wanted to talk about on the, on the team a bit that just – I mean, we we saw this last last second half of last season, but um, Etienne Capu is just. I mean, he's going to be thirty four in the summer, really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's he. he I, I just love watching him play. I think, and he is such a he. He does so many good little things for you. Gets you know, gets the ball back. Gets he's another one of those players who seems to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I, I saw a comment about him on Twitter yesterday that echoed what I've thought about him before. Is you, you, you tend to think of Kapu as this defensive midfielder, right? But he's actually also really good on the ball, and he's always positionally exactly where he's supposed to be. And I think especially when you're putting guys around him like um, like Parejo or like Trigueros or even to some degree like Lo Celso who um, aren't quite as explosive. The, the wide variety of things he's able to do in the ground, he's able to cover while he does it, uh, just really ties the midfield together in a way that nobody else can uh, based on the players that we have. Yeah, I'd echo that. Um, be one of the one of the best signings, I think, for <laughs> uh, for quite some time. Is when you consider the kind of fee paid for him and, and all and all of that. Um, he's one of those players, isn't he? So underrated. Wherever he's been, he's been so underrated. Um, you know, Watford fans will will sing his praises as well. Um, but still, there's not got much attention beyond that, despite playing for Tottenham obviously before that. Um, but he's been, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant addition. He's just such a a player you can trust, and I think Unai Emery, that's what he loves about him. You can trust him with playing a different task. We saw in the Europa League finally played a, a slightly different role in that he's just given one player to stick to and he, and he did like like the best kind of glue you've ever bought. Um, but yeah, as, as Zach says, he's just so talented on the ball. Um, he looks clumsy, um, looks kind of too leggy almost. Doesn't look like he's got enough pace but somehow never seems to actually lose the ball when he's at his feet. Uh, gets himself into some what look like ugly situations sometimes and just crawls out of them uh, with the ball at his feet. It's just a, a brilliant thing to watch. Uh, I can't really... I know a lot of people will... At bigger clubs will turn their nose up when he's talking like this about Etienne Capoue, but it, it's actually, you know, it's, it's true and we've seen him do it on in the on in Europe at the Champions League, in the Europa League and La Liga as well against some of the better teams in the league. So he's, he's a proven commodity as far as Villarreal concerned. I, I don't know that any other player plays this role as well. Perhaps Vicente Bora in the past, but he seems to have lost too much pace from the injury, I would say, um, and age, general ageing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't think Villarreal are the same team without Etienne Capone. If it's one thing I'd say is that as he gets older, uh, Villarreal should really prioritise um, replacing Capone properly uh, going forward. I know they tried to do a little bit with Anguissa, I would like to like to have seen them make a better run for Anguissa over the summer, especially the price he went for. But I hope that Villarreal do try to replace him properly because I don't think he's a player that they can live without long term. 
Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, you see the way Lo Celso fits into everything, and I would love to bring him in permanently, but does that happen in the way the ledgers work? Does that happen at the expense of getting a true backup slash future replacement for Kapu, and is that what's best for building the team? I don't know. Well, we do have several players. I think we do have several of our players um, who are currently on loan elsewhere, right? That we, I mean, Morlanis, I guess, would be one. And then um, a couple of others, Yvonne Martin, I guess. Um, that might be the answer, but those players are probably unless one of them turns out to do a Rodri and you, you, you know, slot him in and he's acts like he's been playing there for 20 years, that takes time to develop. So, yeah, I think, I think you're going to, you're looking at that, at that center midfield position and, and looking at the age of the players there. And that's a play. That's really the place where we might want to prioritize something. I just don't know. I think partly it depends on how Tottenham, how easy Tottenham are to deal with with Lo Celso, and Tottenham and easy to deal with don't usually fit in the same sentence. So. <laughs> no, Danny Levy is obviously a very a tricky kind of um, negotiator. Something he's he's proven in the past. Although, you know, Lo Celso's had these injury issues, hasn't he? And you kind of wonder whether Tottenham have had, had enough of that. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not sure, but we'll see how, how this kind of progresses. He's certainly improving, uh, improving Villarreal, and that, that's a problem because you know Tottenham are, are not going to know how much Villarreal are going to want to keep him. Um, and yeah, he, I should I should think they, they are going to go and, and replace. I think Ibora will move on. I think they'll go and replace that kind of role. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of thought that the Santi Caceres might play this role in the future, but that, that's not going to be the case, obviously now. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see over the summer. But I do think they will. They will probably move Ibora on and, and know they need to strengthen in that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, and we have we have a few other players, I suppose, that we could we could look at moving on. Um, but some of them have been injured and uh, that's and so you know you're not you're not looking at the players that we would like to move are not ones that we would expect to get big money for i think no right yeah you'd like to get Ebora and kokolon and off the wage books but but can you um i i do think you might be able if if you were um to put them out there right now i do think another spanish club would probably give you some money for alberto moreno um, cause you know, he's shown that he can play that left wing role. He probably can't do it at the level that Villarreal needs him to do. If we're going to continue to, you know, chase things on a European level. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can do it well enough that there should be several clubs in La Liga that would love to have him. Yeah, that could be. I also think though for, you know, maybe I'm wrong on this, but one of the things that I really like about Kapu is, his personality, and it seems like that the team, he, he does seem to be one of these players that people like to play on the same team as. And I think Moreno strikes me a bit like that too. Yeah. And so I'm so I'm thinking, do you want to do you want to move him? Therefore, or would you if you're if you're not going to get a ton of money for him anyway, would you rather um, move somebody like Moy? Yeah, I mean, I I, I would. Uh, I don't know how much of a market's there because Moy hasn't played much this year. Um, I'm also, in the last year and a half or so, um, I've had both um, Manchester City writers and Barcelona writers ask me about Alfonso Pedraza. um, Oh, yes. He always circles around in the... And I know that, you know, he's probably at the end of the day our first choice left back. Uh, but I wouldn't, you know, if we could get 25 million for him, I wouldn't be upset with starring Estupinian and putting Alberto as his backup and then, you know, and then just running it back that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll be surprised if they allow, allow Padrafa to go. I, I think I, I would be disappointed with that, to be fair. I think that he's one of the few who can defend uh, at least reasonably well and attack 
very well for for his position. You see with that Estupinian uh, who attacks well attacks well on the ball. His final product isn't great, but then defensively, I, I don't really trust him. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually think that he would probably more likely to move on, um, especially with the South American market. I think they would probably try to move Estupinian on, keep other Atha, and maybe use Alberto Moreno as, as emergency cover on the left, and then. Obviously, use him further up if if needs be. When he's doing well at the moment, but <coughs> yeah, we'll see on that stuff. Mm. But I don't, I don't, I yeah, I would rather keep Pedraza. I think it's very difficult to replace him at the moment. Uh, well, yeah, but his release clause is only like thirty five million, so it may not be something that we really have an option for. No, no, always always the case, isn't it? Um, but mm. yeah, I mean, we might have bigger problems if if uh, if Pau ends up going or or even Jeremy Pino is talk of that. So mm. yeah. I mean, I think I think in terms of players that we, I, I I think if we can can hold on to the players that we want to hold on to, we'd be talking more about tinkering in the margins. I think, but we probably would if we wanted to bring in. Um, there might be one player that we decide we have to lose to make that bigger signing for the, you know, the the person that's going to take over um, for Capu and and so forth, or if we decide to to sign Lo Celso. Um, so, well, you know, it's... Don't we Don't we kind of have to finish top four to really do any of this, though? I mean, if we're not back in the Champions League, it'd be harder to hold on to players. It'll be harder to maintain this wage structure, et cetera. So. Yeah, I, th- I don't think the wage structure is going to be that bad, but I think the I think what you said first would be the key. That's, that it's going to be hard to... Um, if if you've got if if we're only playing in Europa League or worse, and you've got um, other teams coming in who are playing Champions League, um, that's going to be a pretty attractive um, thing. I mean, granted, we can we can hold out for a good price, but um, you're going to get more pressure from the from the player and his agent to go because he knows he's going to get a higher salary and a higher profile playing in the Champions League. So, yeah, I think that may I think that's a fair comment. What? Yeah, what? I think I think I think you're probably more likely to lose one of the bigger players. I think Pau Torres is more more likely to go in that circumstance. Um just because he's you know, he's had the the bid accepted last year, he stayed to play with his his hometown club in the Champions League. That's kind of a box ticked off. Um Either way, really, but especially if they don't qualify for the Champions League next year. Um, I'd say that market's died down a little bit, hasn't it, the centre-back market? Um, probably less teams looking for one this summer. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Maybe Chelsea, if Rudiger goes. Um, well, and Azpilicueta yeah. is might be going too. So, yeah, they could really be in the market probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think... I think United are probably okay. They might buy a centre-back, but probably not that kind of that kind of fee because it's going to cost, well, over 60 million, isn't he? 60, 70 million, so... Um, possibly severe if Kunde goes. That kind of kind of could be a, um, almost a transfer chain if he goes to Chelsea or, or what have you. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a less crowded market this year than it was last year. Um, but I think that probably if if we lose a, a player, probably a bigger player, um, Pau Torres. But then that obviously has good consequences in that it strengthens Villarreal's hand in terms of holding on to other players. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but Pau, I, I, I might put Dan Juma slightly ahead of Pau on that list, um, Perhaps, just yeah. because, just because, like you said, the center back market has calmed down a little bit, and Pau has has a a sort of loyalty here where he's not going to go in a way that's going to leave the club in a lurch. Where I don't think I don't think Dan Juma dislikes being here. But I don't think it's going to bother him too much if the bid comes in and he takes off and Villarreal, let's Villarreal figure it out later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. I, that's a good point because I think, and I and I suspect from the standpoint of the club, they could find, they would probably be happier figuring out more ways to work around that. Um, the center back market, yeah, it's it's probably not going to be as busy as it was last summer, but there just aren't that many um there just aren't that many good center backs out there that if we lose Powell we we are going to replace him with in the market i think we we bring uh, Cuenca back from from loan and uh and try and, and try and figure some things out but we typically aren't going to spend you know 20 30 million on a on a center back 
Um, Danjuma, I really, I, I really like. I just think, I think you're probably right that if we can, if he, if the bid comes in, he would probably go. I think I would like to see him spend another year with us, though, because I think, I think that would improve his market even more. But it may come down to, do we have the are we playing Champions League? That kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, I think he likes being being with Virial. I don't. I don't sense any any problems there. I just think he's the kind of player that um, is likely to attract attention from a bunch of teams. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I think he's an ambitious player as well, so I think that factors into it. Um, but I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't begrudge making a quick sort of 20 million profit on Danju when I have to say it I do like him uh, I know he added, added a lot especially um, in terms of threat in, in the Champions League but I, I don't think he's anywhere near an irreplaceable player if they were to invest at least 75% of the money they'd get for him in another in another winger um, uh, he has impressed let's say but I don't think he's anywhere near irreplaceable and I, I wouldn't begrudge making a quick profit on Danju I think he's more easily replaceable and easier to replace than, than Pau Torres would be. I agree. Um, speaking of players moving on, uh, we've talked on the podcast before about the need for an upgraded goalkeeper. And uh, if we did that, it would the, the odd man out would probably end up being someone that we got asked about on Twitter when we were asking about this podcast, which is um, Asenho. So what, what, He's been with the club a long time. He's been through a lot with the club. Um, how do we feel about the pro? Because he, he he played decently enough against Granada the other day, but he doesn't play very much at this point. Uh, what do we see his situation as? You know, is he still a La Liga quality goalkeeper? What what happens with him? Hmm. Well, you know, the last the last. Um season when he was playing more regularly, we did see a drop-off in, in all the metrics. I remember, Zach, that you that you mentioned. And and that kind of fit the the eye test of, of watching him. I what what age is he now? He's uh he's thirty two. Thirty two. So that's for a goalkeeper that's not that's not uh that old. He could still he could still have some good years, but I, I would suspect that he's going to want to go somewhere where he can play regularly. And I, just don't sense that he's. I think Emery has made his choice on on the goalkeepers, and uh, if we were going to upgrade um, beyond what we have, I definitely see Asenho as the number three behind Ruli and whoever we would bring in. So. I would suspect that we would move him on. Yeah, I'd be kind of disappointed to lose him, I think. Um, generally, obviously, he's been a very good goalkeeper over the years. Probably a little bit unlucky not to get more more international recognition during his best years. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. I, I don't... Th- I don't depends on his kind of his feeling towards the club, of course. But I don't, I'm not sure. He's probably still of that age, like you say, Alan, of, of wanting to play... Um, regularly and he's obviously not getting that at the moment at Villarreal so I kind of feel for him and uh, yeah. I'd rather him get more games in truth if you really have someone sitting on the bench it may as well be Jorgensen and, and move on from there although I do I, like I say I do want to see a stronger option at goalkeeper I think it's a position Villarreal need to strengthen I know that uh, in fairness to Juan Maruli he's done pretty well in the last few weeks um, he's been largely error free which is nice to see um, <laughs> but yeah, so credit to him for, for kind of kicking on and, and putting those errors behind him. Uh, and he's a very good goalkeeper, but I, I do want to see. Uh, I just, I just don't, I just don't know if I can always trust Rui, and I just, don't, I, I don't know if he, Unai Emery feels like he can either. Um, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, obviously, the errors contribute to it. I just don't. Certainly, in the air, he's not a commanding figure. Um, and it's probably to do with his height. I don't want to kind of. I know there's a certainly a. Don't want to rule out kind of short short keepers if you like because they they can be just as good as as bigger keepers. I don't want to play that kind of old fashioned narrative, but uh, Rory just doesn't make up for his height in the air. Unfortunately, I don't I don't trust him when he comes out to punch balls. I want to see someone come up and grab the ball from the air more. Um, mm-hmm. He's good with his feet uh, largely, but yeah, I just I just don't feel that kind of trust in him, and I do want to see better competition at goalkeeper. 
Yeah, and I think the thing with the Sinho is his, his contract, I believe, is up at the end of this year. So I don't, you know, I just don't see us spending, no. um, you know, renewing him. Um, I, I agree with you, Jamie. I, I think I think really has has done a good job of recovering from some pretty high-profile errors earlier in the season. But unlike you, I just don't. There are times when I just want to tie him to the to the goalpost or something. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I mean, I we historically have not. I mean, even Diego Lopez, um, although you know, tall and good in the air, but he he was not a. He's kind of a keeper who sort of stayed back and and um, commanded his little box. Asenho certainly, um, with all his knee injuries and everything, tended to be not a, a keeper who was who was an entirely commanding presence. I guess um, I, I know I've said it before. I think Alphonse Ariola was the was the keeper that probably did the best job of that for us when he was when he was around. Was just one of those guys where you, you knew if the ball came into the box, he was going to grab it. Um, and yeah. I wish we could, I think finding somebody like that, that can, it would be a, would be a big upgrade. Yes. On, um, on, um, on Twitter the other day, the, uh, our sister site, our Real Madrid sister site was talking about Casemiro and the way that, yes, he gets a lot of tackles and interceptions, but a lot of those are like right after he made some kind of mistake to give the ball away. And yeah. uh, my thought was that Jiro Rui actually does the goalkeeper version of that. Um, and I went and looked at his statistics, and that's actually bared out. So er- earlier this year, he was like leading. Um, he was like leading all La Liga goalkeepers in passes played, in short passes played out from the back, and his shot stopping numbers were like really, really good. And we could all think about those times that he like gave the ball away and immediately had to make a reflex save, and. Now his uh, short passing numbers have gone down. He's not attempting as many per game. He's kicking it long a lot more, and that's been much to all of our relief. Um, so those mistakes have gone down, but his shot stopping numbers have kind of come back down to earth. And now he's more of like an average shot stopper. So it's like, sure. yeah, it's like yeah. You, can't, you can't get the better, you know, the best of both worlds at any point with him. You either get excellent shot stopping but terrorizing passing. Or you know, safe passing and eh, mediocre shot stopping. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't bode too well, is it? You have to give him a shot of adrenaline before every shot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sort of makes sense though, because when you think about when you think about it, you're right. He's been kicking the ball long, so so most of the most of the attacks from the other side now are coming on on uh, counters where they're where they're they're getting uh, they're getting some pretty pretty good looks. I would say I, I'd have to go back and look at the number of shots we've allowed. Um, I bet that's probably changed too, because yeah, there'll be a couple of game where, where he would, um, we would get futzed up in the back and something would happen. So, yeah. (laughs) I I don't, I don't think he's, um, I don't think he deserved all the criticism he got earlier on in the year, but given our current squad, you know, you look at places you can improve. Yes. And, in the mm-hmm. in the dream world where everybody else comes back, you know, yeah, you, you, all the other starters come back. Yeah, you go look at the goalkeeper and say, um, if we can get that kind of – and I don't like I, – I hope that regardless if we switch goalkeepers, Emery stays playing the more direct, still possession-based, but more direct style that he's been playing the last few months because I think it works so much better with the players that we have. Uh, but I think that would be backed up a lot better – by a keeper that, like you guys said, had full control of his box at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ideally, but probably going to get Kepper on loan. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, well, there is our ability to win penalty kicks in. <laughs> so, um, oh well. Bless yeah, him. I, I like somebody's comment on Twitter was like, "Wait a minute, that's what we did. You're you're you're, you're stealing from us." <laughs> <laughs> but but I I have to say though watching watching Kepa's airball uh, was <laughs> pretty pretty amusing. My favorite ver- my favorite uh, shot of that by the way somebody was filming the fans like just the Liverpool fans behind the goal and get their reaction to the penalty 
and you can see like as they're celebrating the ball goes sailing into the face. <laughs> <laughs> and I think from what I gathered on Twitter, I think the guy who caught it actually kept it. That, yes, I did him, see I that. Yes, yeah, I did. did I saw that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I think I would have kept it too. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, well, Jamie, we appreciate you joining us um, this morning. I know you, I know you uh, have a time constraint. I think we've already gone over it. but <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's okay. I just get back to work, so it's all good. Oh, good. Okay. Well, let me take a quick break, and then I want to quickly finish up on how come we're doing so well now compared to when we played Elcha and stuff, okay? Okay, so... Um, yeah, so I think a couple of people on Twitter were like, what's... I mean, I think if we had said, okay, we're going to get nine goals in two games and and uh, Gerard isn't going to be on the pitch for either one, we would have asked what you had been drinking or smoking or something. So what's going on that this team has suddenly clicked? Is it Lo Celso? Is it... Is it what, what is it? Well, I, I think that if you go back... You know, really, in some ways, this run of form started um, in late November. Um, you know, we, we after we lost to Barcelona um, in Sevilla, we, we then beat Atalanta and then just kind of went on a tear where between the Copa del Rey games, we were just destroying people. We also, you know, put three on Real Sociedad. We put five on Alves. We put five on Levante. Um, and so I, I really think that the players that we had leave for the African Cup of Nations kind of skewed what was going on because that LJ match happened right in the middle of a bunch of injuries and all those guys being gone. Mm. Um, but really, this run of form has been going on for like three months now, and I think Emery's just figured out how to get this group of players to work, and Los Celso just added on to that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I guess that's um, it's. It does seem like part of it, though, is Emory. I mean, as we were saying before, Emory has done really a good job of of getting the team to play more direct and kind of stop futzing about building the building play slowly from the back. I mean, there does seem to be a and it doesn't. It, it, and I know we talk a lot about formations on here, but it hasn't really been. The formation has been less important. Whatever changes happen there, than it has been that philosophy change to me. Yeah, I. Um, I, I really think that um, it's so curious because it was so obvious earlier in the season. I mean, you've got. Denjuma, who is explosive in space. You got Samu, who is explosive in space. You got guys like Parejo, who are so good at playing long balls. And it was just early in the season, it was like, why do we have, and even, and even Rui, frankly, does his best passing um, from distance. And mm-hmm. so it was one of those things where it was like, why on earth, looking at what these players do well, are we trying to play the ball six yards at a time you know, creeping our way up the pitch. And, you know, like, like you said, it's like once he finally, you know, turned his thoroughbreds loose, it was like, Oh, we've got goals falling in everywhere because most teams that we face can't hang with our pace when we're going forward. Yeah. I suspect that, I suspect that part of it is, was, um, injury related too. I think, I, but I felt like um, last year when we when we won the Europa League, that sort of approach paid off a little better because you're in every game was tighter, right? I mean, you're playing 
when you're playing in the knockout rounds of a, of a European competition, you expect the you're not going to be allowed to do as much. You know, you're, you're playing against better quality opposition. The thing that was frustrating to me was seeing a sort of dither around against teams in the bottom third of the table where, as you say, you play, we would play the ball up um, six yards at a time, and then when we got around the opposition, um, the final third, then we'd start passing it sideways, um, you know, <laughs> and well, it just and didn't... in the league in the league last season we had a lot of these same problems. I mean, this is why we had thirteen draws last year. Yeah. was because yeah. we get against some of these smaller teams, and we didn't care because we were winning the Europa League. Um, right. But kind of like you say, it almost reminds me of. Uh, they always talk about playoff basketball in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And if, if you watch a regular season NBA game, you're like, yeah, they're playing hard, but they're, they're flying up and down the court and they're doing whatever. And, you know, everybody's getting shots. And then the playoffs come around and only the stars are shooting the ball and the pace of play slows down and everything's a lot more thought out and a lot more careful. And, and knockout football, especially European knockout football, is a lot of the same thing, that these teams – um, especially because a lot of the teams that you face um, in Europe more or less have their position in their relative leagues affirmed from the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Real is kind of in that category. I mean, every now and then we miss Europe. But for the most part, we know that at least somewhere in the Europa League spots, Real is probably going to finish at the end of the year. And so then so much more focus and attention gets put on the knockout tie and – that's what's so interesting about Juventus versus Villarreal is because both their managers like are really good at micromanaging those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can, you know, kind of like you said, the the careful tinkering up and down the pitch works better there than it does when you're facing, you know, Elche, who's like, oh, no, we're going to put 10 people behind the ball. And, you know, if we do get it, we're going to kick it long and hope our striker gets a hold of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very they're, – they're, they're very different things. Right. I know I know. if Siddharth were here, he would talk about, uh, you know, playoff hockey being that way because he's a big Washington Capitals fan. And it's the same thing. It's like you've, you've got a season – in the regular season, the matches are more open. Once you get to – once you get to the matches where where the result really really counts to move on, things get much more defensive, much more technical, much more matchup based. Um, you know that kind of thing. But I th- yeah, I feel like it, uh, I, you know I think that also my feeling was when we won the Europa League. I mean, let's be honest, we brought in Emery, ex- you know, hoping for this sort of thing. But I think we didn't expect it so quickly. And right. I think that in a lot of ways, that's a tribute to him as coach and figuring and, and, and playing and his success in the Europa League and, and managing teams in that competition. But he's really still <laughs> um, had to figure out what, our our strengths are um, as a team over the course of the La Liga season. And, you know, I know um, people have said before that, for example, when he was at Valencia, you know, it was the kind of deal where he sort of knew going in, well, as long as I, I'm probably going to finish third or fourth. So I, I can focus on the, on the, um, on the uh, t- uh, ties in Europe and, and let the rest go where it is. And I think it's kind of, he sort of realized what we can, what our strengths are, but also that this is a really interesting season in La Liga, and so finishing in the top six is not assured. And we've got to t- we've got to take a few more chances, and we've and we've got to um, really go for um, go for letting our thoroughbreds run, as you said. Um, so it, it's worth pointing out. Um, and it's worth pointing out while we um, are talking about this that the way things work in Spanish football is that um, seven teams are going to go to Europe. Um, that seventh place team is now the conference league thing, uh, which 
you know, if you're going to miss the Champions League, I still maintain that there's not a big difference between playing in Europa or the Conference League. Um, but it, that seventh place only goes to the Conference League if one of the top six teams wins the Copa del Rey. Because mm-hmm. uh, the Copa del Rey winner is guaranteed a Europa League spot. Um, so as things stand right now, the only team left in the Copa del Rey that's in the top six would be Real Betis. Which, mm-hmm. So that first of all, that's a compliment to how good the Copa del Rey is now and, and how equal um, the quality is amongst a lot of the teams in La Liga. Um, but what that also means is sitting on 42 points after 26 matches, we are one point away from being in a being in seventh place that could potentially miss Europe altogether. Right. And that would be, that would be awful given the resources that we have available on this team. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, um, I think that's a real, that's a real, um, that's going to, that's going to, it's going to be really interesting to see because as we saw this last week, for example, I mean, Atleti have sort of um, had sort of bottomed out for a bit. They seem to be getting it back together in their inimitable grinded out style. Barcelona, um, whether it's you know they've they've been playing better of late. So I, it it kind of looks to me like Betis and Sociedad are the two clubs near us that in the top seven that we really need to be. Um, hoping we can we can continue our fine form and and pick up more ground on them because they've been struggling a bit and Betis have the Copa to uh, to contend with too, um, but yeah I mean a path to the top four seems seems hard, um, but top six is not easy either. So so the um, Real Sociedad and by the time people hear this it'll have already been played but today. Um, oh no, sorry, tomorrow actually. Yeah, so so the day that this comes out, uh, they'll be playing Mallorca, and that's their game in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they're going to be favored in that one. So if they win that one, then we'll be in seventh place, we'll be two points behind them. But then coming up this weekend, they have to play Real Madrid, we get to play Osasuna. Uh, so it could be a chance to immediately even that back out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the first tie break, the first tie break in La Liga is head-to-head matches, which we currently have the advantage on. And as long as we, um, as long as we at least tie them the second to last day of the season, we'll keep that advantage. Right. Uh, but it's such a knife's edge because I mean, the, we have a team that I think you would agree could very easily, if the if if the cards play out right, is good enough to be top four. Yeah. But yeah. you know. You could also get down to the last two weeks of the season and drop from fourth to seventh, just like that, because that's the kind of league that we're playing in right now. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it, it, it's. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's. It's really interesting that this is a season where there's a huge difference, or a huge. Well, I guess there is a huge difference between there. There are you know four or five teams at you know trying to fight to get out of relegation places. Um, it seems like there's some ground opening up between the top seven and some, and some of the others. Um, although I think athletic club are, are, um, are, they're a decent team. I think they, um, sort of took it, decided to focus on the Copa, um, and not worry so much about Barcelona. Um, but, uh, I think their, I think their mission is to get into Europe by winning the Copa pretty definitely. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough league and it's, and it's, uh, it's not like it was before with just the top two and then everybody else. I mean, I think it's, I think the, you look at the third, fourth, fifth and sixth and, and the rosters and, and the results, and there's not a ton of difference between them. So let let me ask you this. Um, I, obviously we want to beat Juventus, but would it be better for the club to lose out to Juventus and then just be able to focus on the league the rest of the way? No, I don't think so. Because I think, I think probably 
I would say no. I think I think you want to try to you want to obviously to try to win that because um, it's you don't get into Champions League that often anyway. You, and mm-hmm. and making it to the knockout rounds is is something. Um, and so you want to try to prolong that as long as you can. And with the roster we have, it's not like we're we should have to worry too much about managing things. I think. We're different than a club like um, Athletic, where they really re- are reliant on two or three players. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd say no, go for it. I mean, if it, if it turns out that, okay, so if say we defeat Juventus and then we get drawn against Manchester City, well, you know, see see <laughs> what happens in the first first leg, and and then you and then you see. But I I think you go for it. I don't know why you wouldn't. Yeah, I I think it's one of those things. Um, as long as we're reasonably healthy, our second choice 11 is good enough to still beat most of the teams in the league. Um, it, it, it's one of those things, though, that if you get – I mean, because we've seen that. I mean, without Gerard, we can still score goals. Mm-hmm. And and for the most part, as long as we have either Gerard or Dan Jumbo, for the most part, we can score goals. Right. Um, but, you know, if you get into another bind where you're missing two or three different forwards, then it gets kind of messy. Um and I just, I don't know. It, like you said, it, it, you, you want to go as far as you can because you don't get to play in the Champions League very often. But it really does feel like at some point you're going to run into one of these, you know, there's, a part, there's about four sides that will, be, that will probably still be left after this round um, that if you draw them, you might as well just, unless a miracle happens over a two-legged tie, you might as well pack it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, as much as I want to see the team do well in Europe, I don't want that to happen at the expense of us being able to watch any European football next season. Yeah. Um, yeah. because yeah. it just, we have too big a squad right now to only be playing La Liga and the Copa del Rey. Um, and you know, and so it would, it would mess with locker room dynamics. It would affect transfer policy, and with the age that we have at certain positions, that wouldn't be good. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, part of me absolutely wants to beat Juventus, but I'm also very nervous at pursuing Europe at the expense of Europe for next season, given all the other factors in it. Yeah, I hear that. If we were still, if we did drop down into the Europa League, I wouldn't feel this way. I'd be like, hey, let's let's go win another one. You right. Know? But I. It would be the most miraculous story in the history of modern football if we won the Champions League. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, it would make it would make uh, it would make the the Porto win fade in the to the background. I think, but it would be it would be kind of like that. I mean, yeah. Well, I think I think the thing is though, all you can do is. You, you go out there. You, you've got one game that you that you want to give it your your all and see how it comes out, and then you take it from there. I mean, I think I think if it, uh, I'd have to look and see what the where the next round fits in our schedule and everything. But you know, I think you go for it. But at some point, you're right. You're probably going to end up in a situation where you're going to get you're going to face a team that you know whether it's a Manchester City or or uh, Bayern Munich or whoever you're going to face somebody that that is that is just um, on on paper you are you are completely overmatched and at that point you know play the first leg see how you do and then <laughs> and then you know take your money and go so, home. <laughs> so interestingly enough, though, so that it, it would actually for the first leg especially it play out very well for us. The the quarterfinals are April fifth and sixth and April twelfth and thirteenth. So we would get to play Levante, who, who's not bad for sure. Right. I, mean, I know they're bottom, but they're they're a dangerous bottom team. Yep. But definitely manageable Levante, and then you'd get Athletic Club before the second leg. So really, depending on how the first leg goes, you would know hey, whether or not you play your guys against Athletic Club or not. I mean, they're just a royal pain in the butt to play, no matter who you put in the field. Yeah. Um, but you, at least for the first leg, you could probably rotate before it without putting anything at risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's what you do. Um, yeah. I think I'm like you. I think it'll be very disappointing if we 
end up going from winning the Europa League to not being in Europe the fall, you know, in in right. uh, 2022-23. Um yeah, I think that would be the that would be a real a real downer given where we think this team is. But you know, that's I guess as a Virial fan, you have to take the long view and accept that um things are you enjoy Europe when you get into it. You figure you're going to get into it most years, but not every year. And yeah. you know, if it, if it's so, if if that's the way it happens, that's the way it happens. I I think we have a good enough squad to to finish top six. I'm I'm more um, pessimistic about top four. Yeah. Well, um, just because Barcelona, I hate it because I hate Barcelona so bad, but they look really good right now. Yeah, um, they're probably playing the best football in La Liga right now, as infuriating as that is. Um, and then you know, you're then you're relying on either Be- both Betis and Atleti Atleti to screw it up, and I just don't think they both are. Yeah, yeah, I think I think as long as I mean, I think as I think as long as Betis either wins the Copa or or. Um, or futzes around and and uh, gets you know drops further down in the league. I think we're probably I think they're the team that, that when I look at them have sent, have had the patchiest form of late. Yeah. So I think I would. Well, and they're trying to win two different cup competitions right now too. So yes, uh, they are. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well. I'm just going to say um, again, thank you for all your work on the site over the past couple of years, and and you'll still be, uh, you'll still be around, but you yeah, won't be. Yeah, um, Jamie yeah. said he'd let me keep the Twitter handle, so I don't I don't know if people are excited or disappointed by that, but I'll still be the primary Twitter admin, and I'll still be putting some articles up on the site. Okay, that sounds so- that sounds good. Um, well, thanks for your time and, and, uh, thanks again to Jamie for, for joining us for the first, um, two thirds of this segment. And, uh, all we can say is, end of Villarreal.